The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down oh, will be broken by Chris Jericho. Yeah, the remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Butterfly in Agata de Vida. If you know that song, it's like 20 minutes long. And it was supposed to be called In the Garden of Eden. But the guys, when they were uh, writing down the lyrics or trying to sing the lyrics, were so loaded and high, it was just coming out as In Agata de Vida. So there you go. A little bit of trivia for you. And also something else for you Chris Hardwick coming up. Chris Hardwick, good friend of mine from, I met him when I first did Talking Dead. Actually, I first met him when I did his podcast. It was the first podcast I could ever remember doing, and we talk about that. How about how we uh, talked about bad sitcom spinoffs, and I couldn't believe that you could actually do this for a living, that people would actually want to hear about it. And here I am, three, four years later, uh, singing uh, Iron Butterfly songs on a cowbell. Now that is just as ridiculous, let me tell you that. Uh, I finally was able to get Chris on my podcast after doing his very successful podcast, The Nerdist, twice, and uh, guesting with him on Talking Dead, which is the very successful post-Walking Dead show that he has. Plus, not to mention, is another great show on Comedy Central called At Midnight, kind of a comedian's game show, which I won. I'm a defending Midnight Champion. So uh, it was great, great honor to have Chris 
on Talk is Jericho. I actually tracked this the same day I tracked the Kevin Smith shows, the uh, hugely successful Kevin Smith shows. And the, my conversation with Chris is more of the same, uh, much as with Kevin, just a pop culture pantheon. It's the same thing with Chris. We talk Star Wars, Dungeons and Dragons, Stan Lee, William Shatner, Arnold Schwarzenegger, zombies, ghosts, goblins, witches, rock and roll, and why being a nerd is a good thing nowadays. Uh, once again, we talked a lot about Walking Dead. New season starts on Sunday. Very excited about that. Um, also, of course, Talking Dead will follow it. You will dig this show. It is funny. It's informative. And it's uh, just a cool conversation between a couple guys that come from the same place, which is uh, the state of confusion. All right, get ready to laugh. But before we get rolling, I need to say thanks for doing your online shopping through my Amazon links at podcastone.com. Easiest way to support this show. Amazon is a proud sponsor of Talk is Jericho. And every time you shop at Amazon through my link, Amazon gives a small percentage of your purchase back to the show to help us cover production costs, cowbell costs, water, ice. Ice costs money. I need some ice in my drink. Uh, if I'm going to do these shows for you, I got to pay for them. And Amazon helps me do that. I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, and Amazon Canada. A, just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page then click on the talk is Jericho button you can buy whatever you want on Amazon you can buy a new couch you can buy a new computer a fax machine I bought a fax machine the other day books CDs you can buy the new Fozzie record do you want to start a war you can pre-order my new book the best in the world at what I have no idea that comes out this Tuesday October 14th pre-order it now get it the day it comes out actually you know what you buy whatever you want bottom line is it's not going to cost you anything extra no hidden fees or hidden charges so if you happen to be doing some amazon shopping you can help out my show in the process go to podcastone.com click on the keep our podcast free banner at the top of the page then hit the talk is jericho button bookmark it so you can get those links in one easy click all right i mentioned do you want to start a war with Fozzie? we are on the road finishing up the very very successful tour with theory of a dead man uh, upcoming dates tonight not the song tonight, but actual tonight. Uh, <laughs> we're at the Water Street Music Hall in Rochester, New York. Tomorrow and Saturday, we're playing the House of Blues in Cleveland, Ohio. Great rock and roll town. And then on Sunday, regretfully, the last night of the tour with Theory of a Dead Man at the number one cycle center in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, such a, a great, great tour with the Theory guys. They've got so many hits. Very, very popular, and we've been playing to thousands a night. A lot of those fans are Fozzie fans. A lot of them have never heard uh, this band before. But it's always cool seeing how the uh, the walls get broken down as we go into our set. We always open with Do You Want to Start a War, the title track from our new record. Then we go right into Sandpaper, which was the big hit from Sin and Bones. But the song that always breaks the, the ice with the crowd that don't know Fozzie is God Pounds His Nails from 2010, Chasing the Grail. Uh, it's got the easiest chorus of all time, chanting, hey, 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 one, two, three. That's it. And uh, I'm going to play that for you right now. We've never played it on Talk is Jericho. If you like a big, goofy, fun uh, ACDC cult song on steroids with a chorus that says, hey, 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 one, two, three. If you can't chant along to this chorus, you shouldn't be at a rock show. You should be at a, at a Diplo show or at a Skrillex show. You know what I'm saying? So uh, crank it up. 
from a couple years ago. This is God Pounds His Nails right here on TIJ.
right, what'd you think? God pounds his nails from Fozzie. Hit me up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho and let me know what did you think of that tune. Also, let me know um, if you're going to pre-order the new book, The Best in the World, what I have no idea. I got a bunch of signing dates. It comes out on, on uh, October 14th, this Tuesday. And on October 14th, I'll be in Carl Place, New York at Barnes & Noble. That's over in Long Island. Going to try and check out the King Diamond show after that, but it's over in Manhattan, so it might be a little tough. October 15th in Ridgewood, New Jersey at Bookends. I'll be signing October 16th in Staten Island, New York at Barnes & Noble. Then I jet over to the West Coast October 17th at Third Place Books in Lake Forest Park, Washington. Then go uh, spend some time with our men and women in the service at Fort Lewis and Fort McCord outside of Seattle, Washington on October 18th. Then I zip on over to Dallas, October 21st, Barnes & Noble in Lincoln Park. October 23rd in Brandon, Florida at Books A Million. October 25th in my hometown, or the town where I reside at least, in Carrollwood, Barnes & Noble, Tampa, Florida. So if you're going to be any of those areas come on by and check it out the book is really uh, picking up steam all the early reviews have been off the charts most people are saying it's the best of my three books and i've been reading chapter for you over the last couple weeks i'm going to continue that right now with chapter 25 it's called mean mr mustard Shortly after the pay-per-view, we left for a European tour with DX versus Jericho's show, headlining most nights. The tour consisted of grueling 12 shows in 12 nights, airport, hotel, arena, airport grind, which made it quite easy to burn out. Best way to avoid that is to break out of the routine and do some different things, so I decided to go check out Abbey Road, the site of the most iconic album covers of all time. Our first show was in London, so referee Marty Elias and I navigated the intricate tube system and met my old high school chum, Wallace, who'd moved to the UK from Canada years earlier. Wallace and I had discovered the WWE together and formed our own wrestling league, the BTWF, Big Time Wrestling Federation, along with our own techno-metal band, the BTWF Orchestra. We were also huge Beatles freaks, so walking across Abbey Road was on both of our bucket lists. Now, when you see the famous photo of the Beatles walking across that intersection, the street looks so big, but in reality, it's really quite small and stretches maybe 20 feet across. I was surprised that the crosswalk was in the middle of a busy intersection with cars flying by rapidly every few seconds. The regular commuters who had to drive through this every day were probably sick and tired of the goofy tourists trying to stroll across while having their pictures taken. I bet they would have had no problem playing a little Death Race 2000 if they knew they could have gotten away with it. There were a ton of gawkers congregating on both sides of the street, waiting patiently for their precious few seconds, and it was funny to see how they marched across when they finally got their turn. The Beatles weren't posing when the cover was shot. They were merely walking across the road with their arms swinging naturally beside them. But these people were trying to reenact exactly how it looked on the cover, their arms jutting stiffly from their sides, knees locked out like nerdy tin soldiers wearing cocky shorts with fanny packs. Wallace and I showed up dressed appropriately. He in an all-black Sprockets ensemble, complete with black beret. Me in an open-throated McCartney-esque suit. Marty stationed himself on the corner of the intersection and waited until the traffic cleared. When it was our turn, I took off my shoes and socks for the pièce de résistance and marched across the most famous road in rock and roll history. Those three seconds were some of the fruitest of my life. Abbey Road is my favorite Beatles record and cover. I love it so much I got it tattooed on my left arm. Ask me next time we meet and I'll show it to you. 
And here I was experiencing something most super fans never would. I stood in the middle of the street and drank in the special moment until a Fiat came scorching towards me and I had to take my leave. Hey, Jericho, I heard the driver yell as he drove by. Wow, I was such a worldwide superstar. I'd been recognized on the Beatles' own street. I'm going to be famous, a star on the screen, I hummed to myself as I hopped up on the curb and stepped into a pile of fresh dog shit with my bare feet. Happiness is some warm dung. Bang, bang, poop, poop. I continued my magical mystery tour a few days later before our show at the Echo Arena in Liverpool when Marty and I visited a tourist attraction called the Beatles Experience. It boasted such gems as the original Sgt. Pepper uniforms and the reassembled remnants of the actual Cavern Club. There was so much history there that I was shocked when Marty told me it was already 6 p.m. I was in the main event that night. There it is again. So I wasn't late, but the doors had already opened and now I had to walk across to the arena in plain sight of the thousands of wrestling fans who are now roaming the grounds. With no security, this could have turned into a real mob scene, or even worse, Victoria, British Columbia Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. I needed a plan. I told Marty to beeline it to the arena and not slow down no matter what. I'd follow behind him with my head down, staring at his feet to guide me the whole way. We left the safety of the Beatles experience into the walking live like Rick and Glenn, but without the benefit of zombie entrails hanging around our necks to camouflage ourselves. I stared down at Marty's sneakers as he led the way and as a result saw all types of shoes out of my peripheral vision. Cowboy boots, Doc Martens, loafers, dress shoes, high heels, wooden clogs, WTF. What? The, if the WWE ever needs to do a survey on what kind of footwear their fan base wears, I'm bowdy bowdy and rowdy rowdy. It was funny how many hundreds of people were walking past me with no idea that the guy they'd be booing the shit out of only a few hours later was right in their midst. With all the concerts I'd been to over the years, I wondered if I'd ever walked past Bruce Dickinson or Mick Jagger in the parking lot before a show as well. It reminded me of the time I cruised past a kid wearing a Y2J shirt outside of the arena in Memphis and yelled, Nice shirt, dude! The kid barely glanced up and missed his chance forever. Too bad, Junior. Our luck held as we weaved through the oblivious crowd and made it to the side door of the arena. Marty went inside as I lingered behind, reveling in the fact that I'd hidden in plain sight and fooled everyone. Sorry, suckers, I mumbled, and strolled like a boss through the sanctuary of the backstage door, ready to, Can I see your pass? The security guard asked me with arms crossed. Pass? I vaguely remembered getting some sort of laminate on the first day of the tour, but promptly lost it and hadn't seen it since. After assuring the guard, who looked old enough to have worked for the actual Beatles, that I didn't need a pass, I attempted to walk inside for a second time. No pass, no entrance into the backstage. You'll have to go around front. That's the worst English accent ever, especially a Scouser accent, but I'm sorry. The guard said wearily, his face stonier than a beef eater palace guard. I'd come so close to safe passage and didn't have time to argue with Rip Van Wanker, especially since there was now a small crowd starting to congregate around the door. But I'm Chris Jericho, and I'm in the main event tonight, so I need to get in. No pass, no entrance. The small crowd had grown to a larger one, and their ears perked up at the mention of my name. I was running out of time. Listen, man, you see that poster on the wall behind me? I pointed at a large event placard with my face plastered on it. That's my face, you dig? Do I look like I shouldn't be back here? I don't even have an English accent. Hey, is that Chris Jericho, a fan said excitedly? Uh-oh, no pass, no entrance. That is Jericho, another bloke shouted, and the chase was on. I gave mean Mr. Mustard the stink eye and power walked away with the group of fans now in tow. 
The Unwanted Entourage, great song title, grew larger and it was time to bail, so I broke into an all-out sprint. The crowd quickened their pace and suddenly I was having my own Beatle experience as I ran around the side of the arena with a gang of hot screaming chicks a.k.a. giggling guys, following closely behind me. I had no idea where I was going or how I would escape when I saw another side door. I threw it open and barreled inside. Don't ask me for a pass, I yelled at the pimply-faced security guard sitting in the hallway. You're Chris Jericho, mate, he said excitedly. You don't need a bloody pass. Another day in the life of Y2J. All right, there you go. Chapter 25. Mean Mr. Mustard from the best in the world at what? I have no idea, which comes out this Tuesday, October 14th. And right now, I got Chris Hardwick. We're going to be talking about all things Walking Dead and so many other things. Uh, My prediction for Walking Dead, Terminus, it will be revealed to be a cannibal city. I don't read the comic books, so I'm not sure if that's real or not. But be a cannibal city and... I think that the redheaded guy that looks like Seamus is going to die. And I think Glenn is on his last legs. I think he's going to die this season as well. What about you? Who do you think is going to bite it literally and figuratively on this season of The Walking Dead? Hit me up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho or at I am Jericho. One of those two will take you straight to me. Give me your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, and I'll give you Chris Hardwick, the Nerdist, coming up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. The level, level. Is here. Level, level. Level 42. Level 42. Nice. We start off with level 42 reference. We have reference. the exact same reference bank. I know. That's why we've always kind of got along. Uh, because this actually is, is your fault why I'm even doing this podcast with you right now. <laughs> why is that? Because the first podcast I did that I remember, I might have done Corolla's first, but I think yours was first. When I came out, I wasn't really too sure what a podcast was at the time. It was only about two years ago. It was still kind of like, is that something that some kid does out of his you know, basement or whatever? The answer is yes. Yes. But the thing is, when I came on your show and we talked about the most irrelevant stuff, <laughs> bad, remember, bad yes, sitcom. <laughs> bad sitcoms and you texting Slash to ask yeah, him about dinosaurs. dinosaurs yeah. But it was bad sitcom spinoffs. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where we were tracing all of the – everything that spun off of Happy Days. Yeah, and then also like, you know, Golden Palace for Golden Girls. Golden Girls, right. Three's a crowd for three, Three's, three's – uh, yeah. What was it? Three's Company. Wasn't the, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's like, I realized like people actually will listen to two idiots talking about nothing. Yeah. Like literal irrelevant pop culture stuff. If you stuff. really thought about it, you'd go – I'm not going to listen to that. <laughs> right. Like, why would someone want to listen to this? You know why they would? Because there's something about you, babe. <laughs> you you got, see, I, I, don't, I couldn't even name the song. I just remember the, the, there was the keyboard thing. The song was There's Something About You. And it had the... Dun, 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 dun. Something, I don't remember how it goes. But this is why I so, uh, decided to get into podcasting. I was like, wow, if, if Hardwick can do this with these irrelevant uh, kind of conversations, <laughs> I can do this too. All day long. And, and Yes. And then coming in here it's like 
wow, I'm getting led into like the, the secret Vatican room. There's like chambers and, and, you know, like little catacombs all over the place to get you. And you're sitting behind a desk yeah. like Don Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Opus Day of podcasts. <laughs> or the podcast world. That's right. It's, it's, That's it's, right. It's, it's weird. I mean, how, how did you get involved with podcasts? Because it, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, you got Corolla and you got Hardwick and you two guys are kind of the, the top of the chain when it comes to that. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a lot, you know. I mean, there's uh, you know, Marin and Comedy Bang Bang and, and Rogan and Jay Moore and, and uh, Kevin Smith. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's, there's a bunch of us who are doing There's even more. There's even a ton more than that, too. Doug Benson, there's Jimmy Pardo. Hundreds of thousands. And so um, I had I, wanted to do it for a long time. You know, podcasting was very important for comedians because I think it was really a survival mechanism for mm. us because we were kind of being drowned under the weight of there not being a lot of stand-up on television anymore. Right. Like, when we were growing up, every channel had, uh, every, every channel had, like, five comedy shows. There was a huge comedy boom in the 80s, and there was stand-up. Was, everyone loved stand-up. There were a million comedy clubs. There were a million stand-up shows. And then in the early 90s, you know, the, the, I don't know what happened. The economy got weird, or that people just got sick of it or whatever, but that burst. Mm-hmm. A lot of comedy clubs started. It was a bubble, and it just got too big. Like, every comedian had way. a sitcom, too. Every comedian. That, well, that was, the, that was the post-80s comedy boom, is that all the, a lot of those comedians who no longer had stand-up shows all started getting development deals because of Seinfeld, Roseanne, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Allen... You know, or, or yeah, Romano, the 80s, Cosby, Ray Romano, yes. and so Yakov Smirnoff. So all you, I don't think, I don't know. He must have. Been <laughs> he some did point. have one. He must it have, was, was called, it called uh, What a Country. Yes. Yeah. Of course. There you go. Of course. Uh, how could it be anything else? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the, in America, you go to party. In Russia, party goes to you. In in Russia, sitcom <laughs> films you. Wait, no, that's what happens here too. But uh, it, it, you know, there was this. Um, there, there was this huge play to comics coming to Los Angeles to basically just get five minutes of material to then develop a sitcom to get a sitcom deal. Mm-hmm. So that that's it evolved like comedy sort of evolved that way, and then um, there just wasn't really a lot of stand up on television. So I think you know a comedian's job is to get your voice into the world as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, you know, from wrestling, you have a point of view, sure, and so you have to get you people. People are buying into your character or your point of view or whatever it is. And it's very similar to comedy in that you have – but they have to – you know, you have television. You have wrestling on television to let people know like who your point of view is. So comics kind of had to find ways either through social media or through blogging or for, through writing books and then podcasting to really let people know mm-hmm. this is what I'm about. I mean podcasts to me are sort of the new comedy albums. Um, there's just a higher turnover rate yeah. and people will That's listen. a great point. Well, people now listen to something once and they're like, I got it. What's yeah. next? I got it. I'm bored. What's next? That's funny because that is something from when we grew up, the, the famous comedy albums. Like, it was a thing. I mean, I still remember Eddie Murphy, Delirious. Yeah, of course. And this is the classic, you epic. know. Epic. Like, there were so many, like, everybody from our generation knows those bits, you know. Yeah. He couldn't afford it. He couldn't get <laughs> you it. He got no ice cream. He got a giant guys. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then, and then he's in the tub and then a big brown shot <laughs> yeah, came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. You got, you got, you got what I need. Everyone knows that. Mr. Everyone, T. Yeah. Don't, yeah. I mean, everyone of our generation knows that. And it was, and you could watch that over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And then now I feel like people watch something once and they're just like, yeah. 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 What's right, next? Right, 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 right. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I think that is an interesting evolution between, you know, people are, we are voracious consumers and we mm-hmm. also love to be distracted at all times. And so the business, the entertainment business, started to notice this with cable in the 80s that, oh, you could, you know, shorter, shorter attention spans, 
You know, mm-hmm. you can just give them stuff faster. It's more fast food for your right, brain. Right, right, right. And then people just got hungrier and hungrier, and they gave them more and more and hungrier and hungrier and more and more. And pretty soon, it's like, well, I have a five-minute attention span, and I'm never going to watch that again. Yeah. You know, like once I see it once. Whereas, you know, I listen to every Steve Martin record hundreds of times. I mean, you know, I watch Caddyshack hundreds, hundreds of, of times. times. Yeah. So. It's interesting too, like when, you, when you're talking about, let's say, Netflix or something like that. Like, I remember a, a couple months ago, I sat down after the Oscars and it's like, I'm going to watch all of these Oscar nominated movies that I'm interested in seeing Dallas Buyers Club and Gravity and uh, Wolf of Wall Street. So I sit down at Netflix and I go through, and then I'm like, I wonder if they have Blues Brothers. I wonder if they got Caddyshack. And then, of course, what do I do? I go and watch Caddyshack for mm-hmm. the 15th time instead of watching one of these new movies <laughs> because you can access it so quickly. I don't even have to go upstairs and get the DVD out of the closet. I can just put it on whenever I want to. Sure. So it does cut down on what people are giving chances to that they haven't seen or heard before. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think what happens for people is that um, we're starting to become a lot more spoiled, I think, as consumers and less willing to take chances on mm. content so that you know and 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 like websites are giving us algorithms that basically just surround us with stuff that we will probably already like yeah but doesn't really challenge you to discover something new so you know yeah you know you like caddyshack you know you like you know right you know you like all the john hughes movies you know you like uh you know every dan Aykroyd. every you know like yeah. you know you know you love bill murray so great but then if that's all you do then you never, you know, how are you ever going to grow out of that? But it's so comfortable. It's just so sure, you know what you're getting because emotionally, you know, you, there's an, you have an economy of energy, and it takes energy to experience something new because mm-hmm. you have to pay attention and be surprised and feel it and decide how you feel about it, and that expends energy. And at the end of a sure. long day, most people don't have it, so it's easier just to go. I can. I know all these references. I know where this ride's going to take me. I don't have to even expend one molecule of thought but, energy on but it. But that's also the thing with a podcast is that you know, obviously, with my show, there are people that only listen to the wrestling episodes. But to me, it's like I have. That's a part of my of my guest roster. But I also have people like you. I have musicians. I have porn stars. I have athletes. Whatever. I need people to understand that. Listen to my show and trust me. If I have somebody on, they're going to be good. And I, I'm wondering, how is that for you with your show? Have you kind of transcended to where it's Chris Hardwick's podcast and the ratings pretty much stay the same or are there ones that, that explode more than others? What, what's really been interesting is cause obviously every guest kind of, you know, there are people that had never heard before that were brought in by that right. guest. And then there are people who listen to everyone. And then there are people who just sort of handpick, oh, I don't really know that person, so they won't listen. Or, I don't really like that person. Other people go, oh, I don't know that person, so I'm going to listen. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, we expose people that are listening to things. But right. the, the most interesting thing to me was uh, a couple of years ago, we started doing episodes called Hostful Episodes, which were basically just me and Matt Myra and Jonah Ray, so the three hosts of the Nerdist Podcast. And I started, we started doing them. The, the first one was called Guestless, and someone in our comment thread said, Oh, that sounds negative. Call them hostful. And so we were like, Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> so we may put a positive spin on it. And so we call them hostful episodes. And for me, it was, I was really preparing the audience for someday we're going to run out of guests. Mm-hmm. I only have so many friends. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I can't have them on all the time. <laughs> so I was emotionally preparing the audience for. This is what it's gonna. This is what it could mm-hmm. be like, and I'm just conditioning you so it's not a, 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 you know, like a drop in a bucket of cold water. Yeah, 
And what ended up happening was those took on a completely different tone on their own because rather than being about a guest that people didn't know, it was about the three of us just being friends and knowing each other well and hanging out, which I never thought like, I was like, who wants to hear that? I think mm-hmm. I thought people listened for the famous people. But what we've discovered is that those are actually some of our highest rated episodes, our most listened to episodes, because it didn't occur to me that that different elements of the show can come and go, but the one thing that that is pretty consistent for everyone and why they listen is for this, the three hosts on the show. And so when it's just us, they know exactly, you know, like about what they're going to get. And so those kind of unify the, the audiences. Yeah. So, you know, like one of those episodes isn't going to get more than like the Tom Hanks episode, but it's going to get more than most of, mm-hmm. of the episodes. So that to me was a complete shock. And also I was like, really you want to listen to us talk to each other? And, okay. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's, you know, we're never confident in our own abilities to like, it's that thing where you, you know, you go, uh, oh, no one's interested in me. I don't have anything. And why would anyone care? And then someone's like, no, I really relate to that on a human level. And that's why I'm connecting to it. Like, really? That was just a, that's not interesting. That's just a dumb thing that happened. I go, yeah, but that's the shared experiences that we all have. But that is the secret. I mean, to any talk show, if you're going to like going back to Johnny Carson or, you know, whoever you like, Jimmy Fallon now or Jimmy Kimmel, you're watching the show because of the host. And some guests you're going to know more than others, but you're watching to see what's the host got going on and what is he doing. And that's like you said, that's what you have to kind of put the, the eggs in the basket of is the host and the person of the guy who's running the show. Now, you just mentioned Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. You asked me to sign your guest book. You had Tom Cruise in there. You had Morgan Freeman in there. I mean, you have become kind of like, like you get A-list guests that are coming on your show that don't do any others. No, that is... I mean, yes, you're right. And that is that is very strange for me that we... And it, it I, I'm excited because I think of what it means for the kind of... Um, the sort of revolution of digital media that the entertainment business, because it's not just, you know, like all the podcasts are getting big, big name guests now. Mm -hmm. And I think the entertainment business are, you know, like quote unquote real, like traditional media, big media is starting to realize that there's something happening in a, in the basements where people are making their podcasts (laughs) and that it does have an impact. And I personally, and I've said it, I realized it that like after the first episode that we put up on our podcast that who was your first guest? It was Tom Lennon. Okay, we went to Tom Lennon's house on Super Bowl Sunday in 2010 because mm-hmm. none of us are sports fans, mm-hmm. and so we thought it was a funny. You know, I came up with the idea for the show on a Thursday, and I called Matt and Jonah that day and Sunday we were recording at Tom Lennon's house. So I'm, I'm so sports uh, unknowledgeable. Who's Tom Lennon? Oh, no. Tom's not sportsy. He's, oh. Tom, Tom is uh, Tom was on Reno 911. He created, okay, he's gotcha, one of the guys gotcha. from the state. He created okay. Reno. He's a writer and a comedian. He's one of the executive producers of I that. I guess Midnight. I'm unknowledgeable at Reno, Reno 911 no, that's totally as well. Fine. <laughs> and so he's not a sports fan either so we went to his house and we recorded this podcast and, what I, and then on Monday we put it up. Mm-hmm. So in less than a week we just made this thing and put it out which to me felt I felt very powerful for the on first your own time. website or well I put it up through a syndication service because uh, you know trying to trying to host the podcast myself would have been ridiculously expensive sure that sure, happened sure. to Kroll in the beginning he was hosting the episodes and it, so he was having to pay for the bandwidth so like gotcha. ten grand a month so I found a syndication service and um, and and I really you know it, 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 I really sort of felt like oh this is like stand up because. I'm in control of it and it's my voice and I can do it when I want. And I felt very powerful and I felt a lot of, I love having responsibility over my work. (laughs) Like when I do it, how I do it, even if it, even if it tanks, I sort of feel like, but I still have to own it. And no no rules either. No rules. There's no rules other than just for me, the rule is like, well, do it as long as it's fun. Right. And so, 
but what I but what I realize is that that um, the podcast listener is, I think, on the average, probably more engaged than in any other form of media because people have to go out of their way to put it in their ears, and it lives it's directly into their brains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it guides them through their day. It guides them through good days. It guides them through depression. It guides them through work. It guides them through exercise. And so they form a very intimate connection. We form intimate connections with podcasts. Yeah. Because it's long form and you feel like you're there. And you just feel like you're mm-hmm. a fly on the wall. And so, you know, to me, I I, I just kind of felt like, you know, a, a, a 100,000 podcast listeners, I think, are equal to about you know, one to two million television viewers on a television show because I think the level of engagement is higher. And you're really, oh, wow. you're really, it's not passively consumed. It's very actively consumed. And it, what really became important to me was the community building aspect of it. It's like, you're really, it's a community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, re- that's exactly what wrestling is. It's like, you know, a community of people yes. connect to you and they're like, not just your fans, but also... You know, like they're like friends. You yeah, know? like yeah. It's, it's it's a very it's a very intimate tight knit society. It's, it yeah. is, and it's, it's and, a secret society. And it's the best. You know, the the day that I started following the thing that I actually cared about and stopped trying to make something for other people was when everything changed and and started to get better. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think it's a good lesson for anyone who you know, like I know it sounds cliche, but honestly, be who you are and follow the stuff you're passionate about, and you know, all that other stuff of will come. Well, and, and that's like, you know, I listened to actually when uh, William Shatner did my show, I wanted to see, you know, how he was on your show and, and just completely such an amazing guest and He's so great. engaging and so much fun. And like I told you, for me, he showed up. Uh, he called because he was going to be 10 minutes late because of he's in traffic. Yeah. And he showed up on his own with no handlers and no driver. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like, dude, like you're a Hollywood legend. Like, where's your people? He's like, oh, I gave up on that bullshit 30 years ago. Yeah. Who needs it? You know, and then I listened to the Schwarzenegger one that you did <laughs> when you went to his house. Oh, that was crazy. And that blew me away. Like, how do you get an invite to Arnold Schwarzenegger's house? I don't know. <laughs> we just, you know, I, I guess it was probably a little over two years ago. Um, the bookers for Talking Dead, Ashley and Debbie, who were also booking Conan at the time. Yeah. Um, I said to them, like, if I give you a little money each month, would you help me start booking guests because I'm running out of friends and I just and I don't have time and it's just becoming time consuming. And they said, sure. And so, you know, we would come up with these lists of people and we would just kind of go elephant hunting. We're yeah. like, well, why can't we find out of Schwarzenegger? Why not? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a percentage of the time someone says they'll do it. And you're like, what, really? <laughs> and then every time you get a Schwarzenegger, it opens up a whole new absolutely you know like there's this really there's this cumulative effect that happens where because you know so much of the entertainment business is hinges on people going who else is doing that the, thing uh, totally you know who else is in it yes and when they start hearing a few party. names they're like not only do they not only do they go uh mm, okay i can do that but they go oh i should do, i have to do yes. that because if they did He's it doing it yeah. and so it really is this this interesting thing starts to happen where it just kind of feeds <laughs> off itself. And so that's, you know, now, yeah, I mean, the, the, the guests, I mean, I still can't, we've done almost 600 episodes. Yeah. So, but, so exactly. You know, I think, uh, you know, and once again, I mean, how, how do you get a Tom Hanks? Did you, did you write him a letter? We sent him a typewriter because, um, I, I, one of the bookers, Ashley, um, was, uh, friends with his, one of his assistants and Tom collects vintage typewriters. So she said, we should send him a vintage typewriter. And I go, let's, let's find a vintage typewriter and I will type on Nerdist letterhead and invitation on the typewriter. 
and send it to him. So I'll put the letter See? in the typewriter and send him the whole thing. And like two weeks later, I get this response. They're like, Tom, Tom Hanks sent, uh, uh, he sent you a letter. There's a letter from Tom Hanks. I open it up. It's on Playtone Stationery, which is his company. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a response typed out on that typewriter. And it was the most Hanksian response that you could have wanted from him, which is that it started out like he was very mad, where he was like, how dare you think you can bribe me with this 1934 Smith Corona? <laughs> well, I guess it does type well, and the action on the keys is really good, and the crimson color of the, oh, all right, fine, I'll do it. Damn you all to hell. <laughs> And so he basically damned us all to hell and agreed to, to do the podcast, podcast before and, you go to hell. And he did it. And he's, he's been on twice and he's great. And, but I think the thing that I think you probably have now learned is that for people who aren't used to doing this kind of mm. – I don't even call it an interview. It's really like a – Conversation. Like a, it's like a conversation. It's a coffee chat yeah. or a phone call with someone that you are interested in but don't know well. But these, you know, all these, these people, people like Tom Hanks and Schwarzenegger, like they do these short-form interviews – it's usually five to eight minutes based on right. whatever the project is they're working on. And I feel like podcasting, it just, there weren't many, outside of like Inside Actor Studio or Charlie Rose or Dick Cavett or, you know, there just weren't that many outlets for people to talk as human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think people are much more interesting when they're talking about what they like and who they're inspired by and why they do the things that they do. And you really start to see them rather than as just a two-dimensional image, but as a three-dimensional person. Well, and like you said, you get a chance to kind of un un unwrap the layers, so to speak, and really get involved with something. Because one thing I noticed, I'm sure you have to do the same thing, is you get asked the same questions. If you go do a radio tour for, you know, Talking Dead or New Fozzie Record or whatever it may be, same question. 10 minutes, sure. same question, same question. So you almost can like go to sleep and just answer with stock yeah. answer A, stock answer B, stock answer C. And I find that most podcasts that I do at the start, you get a little bit of that. And then once you start getting underneath, then the real fun begins. Well, yeah, because it's, it's basically and, – and I never, um, I never prepare questions because I always like yes. to just feel – I don't like to direct it. I, I really like to let the guests dictate what the energy and the vibe of the podcast mm -hmm. is going to be. Uh, Morgan Freeman was just on. He talks slower. He takes more time. It was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a much slower podcast than we normally do, but I thought really – uh, really fascinating because of you know who he is and how he right. Is. But for but also for me, I I've since day one have looked at the podcast as kind of a masterclass in humanity and a masterclass in entertainment and performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To just see you know because everyone's got a you know everyone's got a slightly different way of going about things and how do they do it and why do some people why do some people rise to the top. You know, when other people don't like, mm -hmm. what is it that makes? So it's also been a really interesting study of people for me as well. And I, I take them all as, as, as these really great, um, uh, lessons, these great sure. learning experiences. And, and I'm the questions that I'm asking, I really want to know. And I really am trying to understand. Yes. And that's the secret too. Like you said, when you don't have a list of questions, sometimes I'll have some prep, just a couple things. I like to take some notes, but when you break eye contact, especially when you're face to face, it, it does kind of mess with the, with the, with the, the flow sure. of the interview. But you know, also too, you, you get that, that vibe of, of a real connection. I find when I do podcasts over the phone, they're still good, but you can't replace the face-to-face. -face. I've only ever done one over the phone, and I, I just it, – and it was because the guest was in England. Mm -hmm. And in general, my rule is that you have to be – because 
you know, on the phone, you, you, you don't know – when you're sitting in front of someone, you can tell when they're about to finish saying something. Yes. You can see how they're responding to things. You, you, it just helps you drive the conversation a little mm-hmm. bit better because you, you, you can tell what they're responding to and what they're not responding to. Yeah. And when it's over the phone, you, sometimes you talk over each other or it's like you're guessing. You're being too polite and There's waiting. a weird yeah. – yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. You go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And then there's a weird pause and I just don't, I just don't like phoners at all. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. Sitting here with Chris Hardwick, host and co-creator of the Nerdist Podcast. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a podcast guest booked? who canceled at the last minute or are you beyond that now where when people say they're going to do your show, they actually show up and do it. Um, I don't, let's see there. I mean, there, of course there've been ones where I thought we were going to get someone and then it didn't mm-hmm. like, I think I'd heard Bob Newhart was going to do the show and then that didn't work out. And then, uh, I mean, not, I, I don't I don't actually don't remember what happened, but it just, there was like, Oh, I think he's going to do it. And then we didn't hear anything. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there are a bunch of those types of stories where we almost had someone, but I even kind of count that as a, like we considered it, you know. Like I used to get excited, <laughs> yeah. by, excited by that. But I don't think I can't think of anyone who, you know. Oh, we're gonna do it. Ah, oh, they cancel. <laughs> yeah. I had that. It. It's 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 the it's the uh, bane of my existence was Paul Stanley. Oh. I had, and I, I'm a huge, huge, huge Paul me. Stanley fan. We kiss, but Paul Stanley's Paul Stanley, always yeah. been my guy. And dude, he was booked. And you know, the morning I woke up to, yeah, I got Paul Stanley today. <laughs> Done. Canceled. Can't get a hold of him. I have no idea where he is. Is he still alive? Is he okay? Is he all right? Where's Where's Paul? We got now. It's like I am the the stalker. I will email that guy or his publicist every single week until they block me or until he agrees to do the show. (laughs) And then actually, then when that sort of thing happens, you're just like, oh, I mean, it doesn't matter how big of a name you are. It still makes you feel like here's what I here's what I learned. This is one one of the interesting things I learned from Tom Hanks. Not I don't know if I'll ever really be able to employ it a whole lot, but right. There, there are some there are some celebrities who um, who understand who they like who they are to people. Right. Sure. 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 And Tom Hanks and, and Mel Brooks was the same way. They're guys that really understand that you're probably going to be a little nervous around them, and so they don't have to do this, but they work a little extra hard mm-hmm. to make you comfortable mm-hmm. because they just they're just good people. Right. They know it's going to go better, and they so understand. They like. Tom Hanks knows who Tom Hanks is, not in the way where you'd be like, that guy's arrogant, even though he totally could be if he wanted sure. to. And I don't think anyone would be. He seems yeah, like he's like the Tom nicest Hanks. man in the world. So nice. <laughs> and so he understands. I feel like he understands who he is from, this, from the standpoint of you're probably going to be a little nervous. I'm, a just, I'm a, just a dude. Don't need to be. It's totally cool. Right. And, and, then, and then, But then some other people, you know, almost kind of dare you to break down the barrier a little bit. There's, there, you know, there are definitely podcasts where it takes – the first five or seven minutes before they start to feel like, okay, this isn't like a morning radio show and you're not Mm. trying to make me look like an idiot. So I'm going to let my defenses down and then you can really get into some great conversations. The the second time I had Stan Lee on, it took like 35 minutes. I had him for about 50 minutes. Really? It took 35 minutes 
and I and I love Stan. He's adorable, and I, you know I love that character <laughs> of Stan, the Generalissimo. Like it's great, <laughs> right? But thirty five minutes in, I got him talking about uh, old radio comedy, and his tone changed. See, that's what you want, and it and it dropped, and it was only the last fifteen minutes of the podcast, but it was just like, aha, I got <laughs> I you, I got it. to I you, yeah. And it, it just it went from I mean every, and then. Oh, there was such great shows dude, in the right. 40s that you just can't, you know, and it, it just became like a guy. And that's how you break down the barricade, like you said, with longer term conversations. I mean, when we had both of us, when we had Shatner on, you, you actually broke the, bro- broke the ice because you said at one point it was way in. I have to ask this question about Star Trek. But I realized, like, he has probably been asked every question about Star Trek, and I love Star Trek, but when he started telling me a story about Spencer Tracy in the 40s, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I've never heard this story before. Yeah. That's where you get the gold, the mind. You know the gold mine comes. Yeah, through. It just it just it just helps to you know not be afraid. But you know you sort of edge out of the of of the normal zones a little bit so that it's not so jarring. I you know I've been talking about how so I just did I just did Larry King show a, mm-hmm. a couple like a his, couple uh, weeks ago. His, Larry King now yeah now yeah and he you know <laughs> he's I, the best. I've done his show twice and he's done the podcast once and he's an interesting he's an inter- he has an interesting interview style. Um, and 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 basically what it is is um he will ask you that are so not related to one another <laughs> that you're never prepared and your defenses are down and he never lets you talk for more than like a minute and then he immediately <laughs> changes love the that. so he'll do this thing where he'll go uh, and, and honestly like the tone of the questions wildly fluctuates so he'll go uh Chris, what's a nerd? And I'm like, well, I think it's someone who, you know, unnaturally focuses on a thing so they can try to understand it better than any other human being and then use that knowledge against other people. And then immediately, I heard your father passed away. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, it was really hard for me. What? What, what yes. are your thoughts on net neutrality? <laughs> well, I think the internet should be open for everyone and it shouldn't be tiered. I understand you used to have a drinking problem. And, you're like, <laughs> you, and you just, you can't ever get your footing with him. You're just like a... Yeah, and talk about what it's like to be face to face because I've done a show a few times back in C- uh, CNN now where it'll be like you can tell instantly when he's not interested in your answer anymore. Yeah, like uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Okay, yeah. so tell me about this wrestling and thing. It's, it's, he's almost like the orchestra at the Oscars where you see him start to lose interest. <laughs> you're like, eh, and then I think that's why it's really bad for everyone. It's almost like a weird debate. That's totally it. Ding, that's your time. The first really in control. The, the first time, uh, uh, actually, I actually saw him stand up. I actually had to walk out to the parking lot with him. He just said he was doing a behind-the-scenes thing in the WWE and decided that Jericho has to walk me from, from the interview to the car. Why? Because he does. That's why. So I had to walk him to the car, and I was like, Larry, I mean, I'm surprised you actually have legs. I thought you were just a torso sitting on a chair. I was like, that's a good one, Jericho. That's a good one. But he's one of, the, he's one of those guys that he has a story for everything. everything. You could say... You know, you, like I, I could make a Nixon joke, and it'd be like I interviewed Richard Nixon, and that, like <laughs> I he, interviewed Dick. The yeah, the pillars of everything in our culture for the last fifty years. Everything. He hung out with the Rat Pack guys. Like he was a See, right. He was a, like he was. I think he was a Catskills guy. Like, and he hung out with. Um, he hung out with all those guys and Rickles and Sinatra. He knew all those guys, and and it, it just. And he's. I don't know. He's. He really is. A, he, like he sh- is a walking museum, yeah, of entertainment and and um, and pop culture. I, I felt that with with Shatner too. You get these guys in the late seventies and, and eighties. It's like I wish I could have three hours to interview Larry King or William Shatner. It's like, what do you know? 
that we don't know. I mean, because there's a million stories that they have. I'm sure they've never even told. You know what I mean? Like that's like when those guys pass away, we're losing a whole section of of history of Hollywood and 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 the world. Basically, yeah, and you know? then you know, it's if, a lot of it's on tape, so you can see it, which is, but you're not going to get through all of it. But I yeah. just, I, I really am so, you know, when when I'm so blown away by. Um, so I, I know a lot of guys in their 80s now, mm-hmm. and they're lucid, and it makes me feel, uh, you know, when, when, Sh- when Shatter was in the podcast, I felt <laughs> so great. bad because I said, I go, man, you know, <laughs> I used to really worry about getting older, but you, you know, you you really make me feel like it's going to be okay. You make me feel comfortable, and, and then he just pauses and goes. Well, who's going to comfort me? Yeah. What do I have to look forward to? Yeah. Who's going to comfort me? And I was like, oh, no, that's right. It reminded me of Dumb and Dumber when Jim Carrey pulls up that lady and goes, you know what? Old people really good are good for something. <laughs> they really are worth something. <laughs> I thought I was being so sincere, and it just came off like... He's but quick, he, though, he, man. He rolled yeah. it. He is. He's, He's like very, 83. Very He's 83. I know. I know. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, the, the Rat Pack. I was laughing about that. Do you ever notice that the Rat Pack, they always took these pictures where they're always looking off camera at something and laughing like... Like, we don't know what they're not looking at the camera. They're looking over here. I'm like, <laughs> you know I'm guessing absolutely nothing. I feel like it was all a lie. Yeah. Let's like, just look like we're having the greatest time ever. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, that, that secret society of the Hollywood. I mean, it got to Brat Pack and kind of those sort of things. But, but I think that's, I think people love to, I think one of the reasons why they enjoy the Rat Pack is probably why people now enjoy podcasts, which is a sense that. When you watch those guys, you felt like you were part of the mm, group. Mm-hmm. You, it, it was very aspirational where you felt like, hey, man, I'm, I'm these, they're just dudes. Right. And I'm just hanging out with those dudes. And, you know, they drive snazzier cars and they fuck everybody. <laughs> but, you know, in the end, I just, I just, I'm a part of it somehow. And I feel like um, it's the same with podcasting, except we don't drive snazzier cars. You know, you, you've made kind of the nerdist your, your trademark. Did, were you a nerd, a nerd when you were in school? Did you consider yourself to be kind of on the nerdy side of I, things? I, I was. I didn't know that word until uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I feel like Fonzie called Richie nerd. I feel like he, he I, did. I'd heard the word. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of concepted what the word was, but it wasn't until Revenge of the Nerds when I saw the movie and I was like, Oh, that's, you know, I mean, I, um, my family moved a lot when I was a kid. I grew up in the South. I was born in Kentucky and grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I uh, was always sort of socially outcast. I mean, I, I was, from a very early age, I was obsessed with, with comedy, and most mm-hmm. other kids were not obsessed with comedy. Who I were was, your favorites when you were a kid? Uh, Steve Martin was really the, He's the, the guy, one. Yeah. He was the guy. But, but I, I, I was voracious in terms of comedy. Like, I, every comedian, you know, like... Uh, Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Sam Kinison and Seinfeld and then lesser known comics like Dennis Wolfberg or Emo Phillips or Judy Tenuta or you know like I, I, I loved I loved everyone. I never got Emo Phillips. He was so like I, I guess that's the idea. No, don't tell me about. He was a, a weird kind of quiet guy. He was like, he a, he was like a tall. Haircut. He was like a man boy. Yeah, yeah, like an emo this, guy. Yeah, he had this this page boy haircut and. Um, you know, he talked in very interesting <laughs> tones, but he also had this very sort of weird, like if you liked Stephen Wright, mm-hmm. there was a chance that you probably, like Emo was even more out there than than Stephen Wright. Like Emo would tell these jokes about, um, you know, I was with my nephew for his birthday and he, we brought him a cake and he said, I want to make a wish. I want to make a wish. So I grabbed him by his ankles and I swung him around really hard and he went, wish, 
wish to teach him the dangers of homophones. So he would just write these really he weird... He like saying the Monster Mash. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was waiting in the house late last He's one of the best... I, he's one of my favorite joke writers as a, as a comic, Mimo Phillips. And so I consumed all that. And then I was also um, obsessed with uh, computers and, and technology and video games and science fiction and um, which is funny back then would be classified as a nerd and now it's just like the way it's of the pop world. culture but everybody at the time, does it yeah you know if you wanted if you wanted any kind of home computing device you you really had to seek it out in some cases you'd have to build it mm-hmm. or program it or or track that stuff down and things were very like it was a lot of energy for ma- it was too much energy for mass consumption um, and so. You know, and I and I lo- I played I played D and D. I played. You I know. was a huge D and D guy. Yeah, and what a it, great game that was, man! It is the perfect. It is the you know D and have always said is the nexus of uh, of math and and fantasy. And fantasy, yeah. I mean, it's it's probability and it's imagination at the same time. And so, it, who was who was your big character? I always played magic users. I always, which is interesting because I feel like. In the real world, I feel like comedians are the closest to mages as possible because you're essentially jokes are sort of like you're uttering these spells that have slightly different effects, you know. <laughs> and so I always, I always loved, I always loved that. I was, I never liked, I never liked barbarians or, or rogues or, or archers. I, I always, my guy was Haltane. The he was a ranger, <laughs> and I built up his hit points. He had good strength and charisma. And I played him for about a year, and when he died, dude... Oh, um, you would have been crushed. Killed by a chromatic dragon. Those are really hard to kill. You, you can't kill it. As soon as we I, we were getting on to... Remember, there was a basic, medium, and advanced. Advanced D&D, advanced yeah. Advanced D. We got to the advanced D&D. A D&D. And I, yeah. <laughs> I still have all my original books. I still have like the Monster all Manual and the Fiend Folio. And the, and the, 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 the dice. The, the, the DM guide. Dice, the DM guide. And were so, you a dungeon master ever? I was never a dungeon master. Because that was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of work. Yeah. And I just wanted to play. I didn't want to have to plan everyone's adventure and campaigns. But I... But, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but in 2002 or three, a group of comedians got together. It was me and Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn, mm-hmm. this guy named Blaine Capatch, another guy named Jerry Duggan, who writes Deadpool now, and a couple other guys. And um, we, we p- had a campaign going for about a- almost two years. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. That I really just going from what were they, from adventure to adventure. What it was called? one long campaign. It was a campaign, campaign, you know. So it was one long campaign for a while. I mean, it was basically this never-ending campaign. What was it called? You'd go to the to the D and D store and you'd buy different adventures. What were those called? I can't remember. Like you'd buy like you know the Queen Spider Queen or whatever. And you like I said, beginner or middle or advanced. Each one had a name. I can't remember. What it was. Yeah, yeah. You're basically you're just buying camp. I think you were campaigns. Just buying campaigns. They're called campaigns. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they, they come. They came in like the soft. Yeah, like soft a, like cover. A, like a like folder. A yeah. I mean, like my original D and D books, I, it looks like it was typed. <laughs> um, but it, it, and so, it, what it, what we were able to do is, you know, at that time we could set aside five hours on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we just don't, you know, like being in a D and D group is very is a lot of responsibility because it's like being in a band, mm-hmm. and if you can't show up, it's very difficult for other people to for the rest of the group to play. Good point. And so we all started getting busy with work, and no one wanted to be the dick who was like, "I'm sorry, I can't play this week." And uh, and we actually lo- we, our campaign stopped because our, our DM got a girlfriend, which is literally <laughs> it's a true story. It's an that absolutely true happen. story. <laughs> and whenever um, and his girlfriend, you know, like 
I mean, like he was a hardcore gamer, like not just, and he was a fantastic DM, but he also like, you know, he'd play with, he'd play D and D with us for five hours and then go play Halo until like four o'clock in the gotcha. morning. So his girlfriend was like, you probably should take your career seriously. You're, you know, you're in your thirties now and you should probably <laughs> do something, you know, more than just do this. <laughs> and so he quit the game and, uh, you know, whenever we'd run into him, Posehn would get real standoffish with him and be like, what's up, bro? When you coming back? Like we were like, a, as a group, we were like a weird ex-girlfriend that he had. Yeah, right. So it was always a little awkward, but um, yeah. So I, you know, I was, I back to your to your earlier point. I I was into all the things that were, you know. I was also I was I was a, a an insane chess player. Like I played. Wow. I was in the chess club. I played tournament chess. I played, you know, before school, during lunch, after school, and um, and so you know, these were just the things that, that that sort of populated my life, and which are kind of nerdy. Quote they unquote. are, and you know, I I often I get in arguments with people sometimes now because. You know, you know they'll say, uh, you know, like we'll have guests on. They're like, Morgan Freeman's not a nerd. Your podcast is called The Nerdist, and I go, See, right. you know. But I, I feel like there's a mistake in classifying what nerdy is, and 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 I think the mistaken way to classify it is what specific things. There are these accidental qualities of like, well, what do you consume? That's what makes you a nerd. And I feel like it's not what you consume; it's how you consume it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's in. The process of how you consume something and how you approach the world. I think nerds tend to go toward more fantastical things. A because I think they have imaginations and live right. these very internal lives. And B because a lot of nerds didn't have it so great going up, and so <laughs> reality was not fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not have a lot of friends growing up, and I was not. I was. I was popular for being unpopular, and it was just me and a couple other kids, and we didn't have the internet, so I couldn't network to millions of other people sure, at any given world. moment. Yeah. I, I just really just had my like two or three friends. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I um and, and I was also very small. I was very small, like I was tiny going into high school. I was like four foot nine. And then finally in sophomore year I kinda I grew. Mm-hmm. But um so it Did you read comics? Comics I was not as into because I, I, my my best friend when I was eleven scared me off of comics because he was so hardcore into comics that I started collecting and then I went to his house and I saw his collection <laughs> and his parents he was a spoiled kid and he uh, his parents had like redone the attic into a playroom and he had like half the attic were all Marvel boxes and half the attic was DC boxes and so he would. You know, every week he would buy two of everything and one thing that he wouldn't take out of the Mylar and one that he would but would very gingerly put it back. So it would still get a high grade of, uh, you know, for, for the rate of the rating of the comic. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He had comics as far as you can see and he knew wherever they were all, all bagged and boarded. organized yeah. in a notebook. And, and I was like – and in my mind I didn't understand like, oh, you could just read them because they're fun. I thought, oh, this is what you have to do. And so I – skewed off and went way more tech video game mm-hmm. sci-fi and less comics so it wasn't it really wasn't until the last handful of years that i started you know getting into really that. really getting into to comics more when you um when you first came to hollywood i mean you were doing you've appeared in like these random selection of of movies is that all part of being a comedian was you were trying out for acting parts but they weren't really funny acting parts i mean you were in a bunch of different weird things i was in a i, I was always because a friend was doing something and they asked me to be in it like i was never i rarely auditioned for anything acting related and and got it i'm, uh-huh. just, I'm not a good i'm a horrible audition not man. a good auditioner some people are real good at it but it's a very artificial environment and yeah, i get awful. tense and i hate it and they're and it's weird 
weird. And it's the worst because you always get the same response to they look at you and go, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. great, thanks. great, thanks for coming in. Was that good? Was that bad? And you're over, you're trying to analyze everything oh, about their so body terrible. posture, and it's like, oh, they kind of move their shoulders, so that probably means that I oh, was that yeah, okay. Yeah. And so I hated that, and 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 I, you know, which is why I don't really do acting stuff. I just like hosting stuff. But mm-hmm. so like. You know, I did House of a Thousand Corpses because I'm <laughs> friends with Rob Zombie and I've been friends with Rob for 20 years. And so that's how he was like, oh, I'm writing a part and there's a character who's kind of a sarcastic prick. And, I, and, and, he's, per- and it's, it's basically you. And I was like, thank you. So, um, <laughs> well, so that's, that's how I was Because that was, was with corpses. you and, uh, Rain, and, and Rain Wilson, yeah. Dwight from The Office. And, and Bill like, Mosley and Sid Haig and Karen Black. And, yeah, but I mean, know. but those guys were all kind of known, but you two guys were unknowns. And now you both went out and did stuff and, and we became went out, big you, names. Yeah, and then, you know, Rain is a phenomenal actor and he's yeah. clearly a great auditioner. And so. Um, Ended up as a half man, half fish. Yeah, fish boy. Ended up as fish boy. Corpses and uh, and so it really acting parts for me come along because someone just said hey do you you know like Rob also asked me to be in his you know Halloween two mm-hmm. you know so it, 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 what it, about you did Terminator three Terminator three I actually did well the Terminator three audition story to me is funny because of the that was the year before I quit drinking. And uh, so it was like 2002. Because you were a lot bigger back then, even on House of Thousand Corpses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like chubbier guy. I was yeah. like 40 pounds bigger. Right, right. And it was all beer and, you know, mm-hmm. 3 a.m. pizza. And, um, and so I auditioned, for this, I auditioned for this terrible movie called Biker Boys, which is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like. Sounds like it has a Z at the end of it. But yeah, Biker I think, Boys. It, I think it probably did have a Z at the end of it, maybe a silent one at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of Biker. And so <laughs> there was uh, there the Biker Boys. Yeah, I, I, they should have just made them smaller and smaller to like Doppler the. <laughs> yeah, but they. Um, so I auditioned for this movie Biker Boys, which is exactly what you think it was, which is basically Fast and the Furious on motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And so they were supposed to be these super hot biker boys. And at the time, I was just basically a sack of donuts. And um, <laughs> so I auditioned for it. And so they were like, hmm, well, um, I don't know if this is going to work out, but we do have this part in Terminator 3 for an engineer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So like a computer engineer. And I was like, Gee. all right. And biker so, boys or Terminator computer, 3. Computer. Yeah, but I know, but it was like oh, okay, sexy yeah. hot biker boy or like the engineer <laughs> who's like, we've lost all the comm satellites. You know, no, the comm sats are down. As he has a hot dog in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's got a hot dog in his mouth and like three <laughs> beers under his shirt. And um, and so it's like I'm almost unrecognizable in that movie between what I look like now and what I look like then. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which is, I'm so happy it went that way. I'm so happy I wasn't in good shape. And then let it go. It it feels so good to have been in terrible shape. And then you know when I when I hit my early thirties was like maybe I should try to get into better shape now. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that, that 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 was was there any anything that that made you decide to do that or quit drinking? Was it just one day wake up and say I'm done? Well, those are part sort of. I mean the the. Those days I refer to as um, as Peter Hardwick, which is my I, I call my fat drunk old self was like a fat brother that I had. Peter Hardwick, he died in two thousand three. <laughs> Terrible Rest gardening, yeah. bizarre gardening yeah. accident. Burn in hell. <laughs> and so, um, he, so you know, I think it was a lot. It was a lot of things. I, I think I always knew in the back of my head, especially near the end of it. You know, I would drink all day and all night. I mean, I would drink all night, and then I would wake up at like six in the morning because. You know, alcohol is just it interrupts your sleep pattern. You don't really sure, sleep well when you're right. drinking a lot. And so I would wake up at like six AM and feel horrible. So I would, you know, I would drink to go back to sleep. And, you know, I just I remember just like catching myself in the mirror once, just sort of looking all shlubby with a beer, like a recovery beer at six AM <laughs> and and going, uh, uh I don't 
think this is going well. I feel like you're probably going to not have to do this at some point. Yeah. And uh, in 2003, I was I was dating this girl. We'd been together for about a year, almost a year and a half. And, you know, one day she said, because um, when you're drunk all the time, you don't realize that there's a sort of Tasmanian devil effect where I think you're not, you're not really aware of the, of the shit storm that you're kicking up mm-hmm. around you because you just think everything's rad. Right. Because you don't really take emotional responsibility for any, you don't take any responsibility for anything when you're doing that. And she's like, you know, one day she was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. And she broke up with me. And I, you know, I was seeing a therapist and I went to the therapist the next day and she said, why don't you just check yourself into rehab today? Why don't you just quit today? Mm-hmm. And it was just the right time. Like I'd been thinking about it. This girl broke up with me that, you know, the therapist said the right thing. And I was like, oh yeah, I could just quit today because I think when people think of giving things up like smoking or drinking or sugar or whatever it is, they kind of ramp it up so they go, Friday is going to be the last yeah, day. Yeah, and then yeah. Friday they go, well, it's the weekend. <laughs> uh, Monday. And then Monday you're like, it's my cousin's birthday. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I had a really rough day. You know, Tuesday. Mm. And so I think just the suddenness of, I could just do this right now. And it's like the light went off. Like, wow. The light went off and I was ready. And it's, it's very hard to do unless you're really ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, unless you really believe that it's something you want to do. So I did. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was hard tonight, but I did it. And I've been sober for 11 years now. Well, I mean, and, and which is amazing. And also, too, Hollywood is such a, a looks oriented. I mean, you're a funny guy. You're great on camera. But if you were 40 pounds heavier, there's probably gigs you wouldn't get. No, of course. Because specifically of that. Unless you're going to go 80 pounds heavier and go for the, the fat guy comedian. No, I just, I just have to keep hoping that Jack Black's doing well so I can pick up all <laughs> yeah. of his, you know, like B, B roles that he wouldn't take. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I just decided. But then also in the process of, um, because I have this brain that, you know, this kind of thing that hyper focuses on things, you know, which I attribute to kind of nerd and nerd, nerds hyper focus on things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really, I really absorbed fitness as a, as a thing and, and just didn't realize that things that you learn, um, physically are, are, are that you are lessons that you can use emotionally and psychologically. Sure. It just never occurred to me. I just didn't, how could you know, unless you experience it, you right. cannot tell someone, that someone that and have it make any sense unless they experience it and you go oh this is oh, okay so pushing through this here is sort of like that that thing that i had in life yeah. where i needed to push through you know so and it all works together too when you're in shape physically you get in shape mentally you know it all makes you feel so much better all across the and board you know i know you've had this experience too especially with the age that we're at where we see people that we went to high school with or whatever and dudes have just let themselves oh gosh, go and you're dude. like that could have fucking been you know like, i know where they're where they just like people who are our age, but they just look ten years older. Yeah, I, I went to the Stones last year twice on their fifty anniversary. Mick, he's seventy one, looks amazing. He moves great. He sings great. He's all over the place. He's skinny as a rail. It's like that's what I'm going to be when I'm seventy. I want to be like one of those guys that you see on TV that's got the young man's body and the really weird old guy's <laughs> face, like they kind of replace it. Because like you said, when you give up and stop trying. It's easy, man, to let yourself go, and you because, see those guys all the time. Yeah, because it, it, it's, as you get older, it takes – I talk about this with my trainer all the time – is that it takes more and more work just to feel okay. That's right. Not even feel amazing. Yeah. Just to feel okay. And so, you know, and, and, and it's, it's an unsexy process. Mm-hmm. It's just consistency. Right. It, there's no – you know, people go, uh, 
I'm going to work out five times a week now. I'm going to get in a shame. Like, it doesn't work that way. You have to be consistent. And, you know, if you just do a little bit at a time incrementally, it's not, it's, you know, you're not going to change overnight, but over time it accrues like, like interest accrues. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, one year later, you're like, holy fuck. Yeah. How did, how do I have arms? How do I have, yes. how's my posture better? <laughs> like you, you really just have to embrace the process. I, I did that a couple of years ago. I, I, you can, I Google fat Jericho and you see pictures of myself, two or three. I lost about 30 pounds too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was getting a Google fat Jericho. You'll find some real great shots there. And you're like, that's you. No, you weren't fat. Fat Jericho. Fat Jericho. <laughs> Google fat Jericho. <laughs> no, no, I'm ordering him around. That's Kyle in the back. He yeah, I, I know. He, I know. He, he's the guy who found the the man with two heads or whatever. Yes, found that. yes. Yeah. The yes. thing with two heads, Rosie, Rosie, Rosie Greer, Greer and Ray Milan. The God uh, damn it, the uh, the racist that that got his head transferred onto a black brother's body. <laughs> great, great movie. How big has Talking Dead been for you uh, as far as exposure and just uh, raising your profile? It's the biggest thing that I've ever done. I mean, the fact that um, you know our season finale. Seven like seven and a half million people watch that and on a and, cable channel on Amazing. a cable channel and and like net there are network like networks yeah most network shows don't even get those this numbers. is a show analyzing a another show. show on a cable on a deep yes. cable channel and so you know it just I, I think what it made me realize is that you know there's there's a theme with everything that I think that I that I work on with all the nerdist stuff and everything we mm-hmm. do is that. It really is about building this community. It's a community, and there is a community around Walking Dead. And so I think our show just kind of helps people feel connected to the show the and community. each other and right. just lets them, you know, we sort of, we're sort of therapy for them. We kind of, because the show can be very intense and you want to talk about it and you need to talk about it. And so we kind of help people blow off that steam so they can go back into their lives <laughs> and go to bed without their brains buzzing a million miles. An but hour. there are a lot of very intricate details in that show that when you discuss them after, you're like, wow, I never even noticed that or realized that. Sure. But were you a zombie fan? Yeah, of course. Oh, through your, through, for me too. Like I was a big zombie fan before Walking Dead even came out. Yeah, I mean uh, Lucio Fulci's zombies one of my favorites. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, well, I that, that what did you see the back of your head? No, oh, the right, back right, of the right, head right, where they yeah. they push like they got the zombie grabs the back of this chick's head and pushes her into a splinter and gouges her eye out. It, ah, it just grosses me. out. Yeah, I mean time. you know like those those films, a sort of tapped into this um, uh, this really horrible apocalyptic when and still do this 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 apocalypse fear and this also uh at, at the time that like Romero and all these guys are making these movies and really scaring people mm-hmm. with i with i would imagine at the time more kind of even though it's a zombie sort of more uh visceral fear based yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. rather than that sort of psychological right hitchcockian kind of like this is in your face yeah, yeah. This is like you're watching people's yeah. eyes get gouged out Splintered, and you're watching, right. you know, you're watching, I don't know, biting onto flesh and attacking. Pulling it out, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the zombie mythos is, you know, there, that we all kind of have a version of that built into our survival mechanism, which is you don't have to know what zombies are to have nightmares about being chased by a weird thing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it just taps into all of the sort of deepest fears of right. I'm being chased by a thing that's, you know, 
maybe not hum- human per se, and I don't know how to kill it, and it's, uh, it's what going to do. Yeah, and, and it's coming for me. And the thing about, about, about Walking Dead that's so good is it's not just about the zombies. It's about the relationships and then the, then the human beings within. I mean, the zombies are kind of almost the window dressing. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, like what's Kirk, really Kirk, going Kirkman on. said the show to me. I, he was... He goes, uh, eh, it's a soap opera with some zombie, you know, like, <laughs> so like it is, you know, like you can't, there's only, you can only watch zombies so much before yes. you're like, I get it, you know, but I mean, the idea that there is a television show that, you know, with that resolution of the, you know, like that screen resolution that they will shoot close ups on every week when you can see, you know, like, they just it just didn't used to be that way. I mean, like that right. guy should win a lifetime everything for <laughs> Kirkman or Nicotero. Nicotero yeah. for 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 being able to bring that to television because mm-hmm. you know 10 15 years ago it just would have looked it, bad. It just would have looked bad. Oh yeah, would have looked campier, cheesier, like, like you know, like, like sci-fi the old, channel, like movie. the old hamburger meat on the face. Kind yeah, of yeah, thing. yeah, 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 the squirted ketchup. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, but going back to the to what you said about talking, to, I did not realize how big Talking Dead was until I did the show. My you know Twitter feed, Facebook blew up like it was the biggest thing I've done in ages, just because it's so hot and so popular right now, you know. And that's uh, it's pretty cool. You it know? is cool, and it also it, and I'm very appreciative of it because I've had a lot of shows that did not do so well, <laughs> and so to have a show, and I don't even mind that people make fun of me for like doing an after because I did the Breaking Bad one too, and they're like, and now you know I always get people like, when are you going to host Talking Thrones, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and so. It, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. You know, like it's it 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 really does. It, they are questions and conversations that I would largely have anyway. Like mm-hmm. when when Lost was on, I used to call my you know I, I would have certain friends that I would call afterwards and be like, "What's the Hanzo Foundation? Where's the, where's right, the right, polar right, bear? Right, right, What's yeah. the smoke monster?" You know, you're talking about it because it's 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 water cooler subject. It's matter affecting right now. you. Yeah, it's yeah. water. It's it is. It's it's that same effect, and you just you need to know that someone else ex- experienced the same thing. Yeah. What do they think? Because you're trying to process how you feel about it. Right. Right, so right. it's really, you know, it's, but you know, what I had never counted on was that people would take Walking Dead so seriously that, you know, especially if a major character dies, I'm the first fucking face they see <laughs> afterwards. And I just, <laughs> I have, have the that, shoulder to cry on, man. Or, or, you know, and I have to be like, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, like, oh, so I'll just calm down. You know, what do you think about the, uh, before we wrap up, what do you think of the new Star Wars, about the new Star Wars movie? Excited? I'm excited about it. I, I saw the little, um, the little, teaser thing that uh, JJ did like in that in that sort of like that market set mm-hmm. and he had the the creature the practical yeah. effect which which I think made a lot of Star Wars fans feel like oh is like that kind of the old Harry CG? Ray Harry Heisen it's uh, not it's not it's not going to be all CG wow, you know good. like it, stop motion so uh, or at least or at least puppetry or mm, some, gotcha, some type gotcha. of practical effect you know I think I think a good mix is a practical effect with a digital layer on top of it so that it's sort of you know they redid um that first season of Star Trek, they they did a, a they did a um, a version of it where they just enhanced a few things on the TV show. Yes, on okay. the original on the uh, TOS. <laughs> uh, and so, like, they would just they just did some some uh, brushing up of CG from like uh, external shots of the Enterprise. Oh, okay, and then some of the instrumentation in the background, they did a few little effects there, but they didn't like they didn't do CG creatures or anything. Gotcha. And it was just enough to really like contemporize the show mm-hmm. and and make it feel like kind of new new again in a yeah, weird yeah, sort yeah. of way. So I think a good mix is practical with a layer of CG on it, and and you know like I I know that JJ's a huge Star Star Wars fan, so I feel like. He's, you know, he's. It's easy to say like, oh, what is it? 
yeah, okay, I'm sure that's going to be great. But you don't know. And I'm really trying to encourage people, particularly people on the internet, to um, uh, to experience and then judge. Because so many people just judge without experiencing. They right. go, I know that's going to be shit. And you go, you don't know anything. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. don't have all the facts. They, they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't intended to be amazingly great. Everyone's trying to do the best that they exactly. can. Everyone's always trying to do the best they can. And you know, movies are very hard to make. It, it, it amazes me, too, that they gave him the chance to, to do both. To do Star Trek and Star Wars. That's like playing guitar for Zeppelin and Sabbath. That's like fucking same Betty time. and Veronica. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You're getting them both. Like, what the is, the, is this the Rat Pack yeah. or something in the Rat Pack now? Yeah. You know, you're banging both Betty and Veronica. And, and Ethel, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> Why and then, not? And then, and then, if you could get Shatner in Star Wars, that'd be like making Betty go down on Veronica. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need a minute. Hello, guys. hello. Excuse me. I'm going to need a minute alone. What? Uh, so, I, mean, I guess my point is, I think he's going to. I think he's going to do a fine job. I'm excited about it. I'm excited because I love Star Wars, and I saw Star Wars in the theater with my dad when I was a kid, and it's, mm-hmm. it's had a, it had a huge impact on my life. And so, I would like to. You know, experience it and then decide if I like it or not, as opposed to you know trying. Yeah, I agree. To- I agree. And like I said, if they if it wasn't going to be good, they wouldn't be doing it. And I have no doubt in my mind it's going to kick ass. I, I just really believe, it, especially with Harrison Ford in there, Mark Hamill and uh, Carrie Fisher. It's enough of a link to those old movies that we hold in such high regard because we saw them when we were kids with your dad, with you my mom. You cannot tell me that every Star Wars fan who's of our generation or a little bit younger isn't going to see Harrison Ford as Han Solo and not freak out and not tear up a little bit. Totally. I mean, you can't tell me that that's not going to happen. My, that's my favorite Star Wars character of all time, Han Solo. You? He's chaotic good. That you like. So if you're playing D and D, chaotic good is the alignment yes, that exactly. you want. Chaotic. It's the lovable rogue. <laughs> That's right. It's the guy who has a code of ethics, but you, he's unpredictable. Good. That's right. Sometimes he's selfish. Sometimes he's magnanimous. You, you don't never know what he's going to do. Yeah, you don't know what he do. He's chaotic, but he's good. Chaotic good. Um, so Han Solo. Um, What's your favorite Star Wars character? Um, I, uh, I always. <laughs> I don't know, you know, like I'm sure there are some in the cantina where you're like, I like Hammerhead, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I kind of liked the Emperor as a character, you know, just because you think uh, I always like the idea that you know you think Darth Vader's the boss, and then you realize like, no, no, there's nah, a boss, there's somebody boss. over top of him. You know, there's someone, there's someone over the top um, there. I mean, yeah, you know, Han, Han and Chewie probably when I was a kid, I probably. You know, you think of yourself as Luke, but you want to be Han. Yeah. So it... it At least acting-wise. <laughs> <laughs> so, but character-wise, you want to be, yeah. you know... I wanted to go to Toshi to buy power converters. <laughs> like, oh, oh. Who's going to go shoot some more womp rats? <laughs> <laughs> what if someone was like, the character I really love the most was... Aunt Baru. <laughs> like, really? That's my one. That's one. Jar Jar Binks is my all-time favorite love, character. I love Blue Milk. <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing? You know, that little that little uh, the jug that they pour the stuff blue out. Milk. Blue milk, yeah, gone dark milk. It was it was, it was, it was blue milk. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, we have this thing on our show where we have somebody sing us out with a level forty two song. Actually, we've never done it before. But we're going to start right now. Okay, give us a little level forty two uh, song. Because there's something about you, Jericho, so right. Nice. Yep. Thanks, Hardwick. Thanks, Jericho. Blast, dude. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. <laughs>
Thanks for checking out Talk is Jericho this week. And thanks to Chris Hardwick. Such a cool guy. you got to check out his podcast, The Nerdist, if you haven't already. And, of course, check him out hosting Midnight and Talking Dead, especially this Sunday because Season 5 of Walking Dead premieres. Yes, you know what I'll be doing right after the Fozzie gig is over in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania. Checking out Walking Dead on AMC. I need to know what happens, man. What exactly is Terminus? And that's what I'm going to be watching Sunday night after the Fozzie gig, like I said. Um, and sadly, we only have a few more shows left. Tonight, we're at the Water Street Music Hall in Rochester, New York. Tomorrow, Saturday night, we're playing the House of Blues in Cleveland. And, of course, the Quick Rock Festival with Theory of a Dead Man and Three Pill Morning Sunday night at the number one cycle center in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks to everyone who came to rock with us. Don't forget to come check us out November 20th at the Cinder Block Party. Uh, with Texas Hippie Coalition and Shaman's Harvest. We're going to be winding all throughout the United States for three weeks. Go to FozzyRock.com for all gig information and all VIP information. If you haven't ever tried Fozzy VIP, I guarantee it will be the best VIP you've experienced out of anybody in the entertainment world. We go the extra mile for our fans. We go the extra mile for you. And I keep going the extra mile. I just never stop uh, because I got my book tour. I I gave you the dates earlier for the best in the world at What I Have No Idea, which comes out on Tuesday, October 14th. I will start in New York, head to Jersey, go to Washington, end up in Dallas, head over to Florida. Less than a week away, I'm telling you, people are saying this is the best of the three of my books. I can't wait for you to read it. Uh, And I, I can't wait for you to, to, to continue supporting me and to continue listening to this show. I thank you so much for that. You know, I wouldn't be doing this at all if not for you guys downloading two shows every week. And also, if not for my sexy beast sponsors who help us pay for the production costs of doing this show for you for free for twice a week. And if you want to help support the show, easiest way to do that is do your online shopping through my Amazon links. Super easy to find. Go to podcast1.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Eh? Then click on Talk is Jericho. You see all three of my Amazon links from the UK, the USA, and Canada. Hey, every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra fees, no hidden charges, just getting your shopping done and helping me out in the process. All right, thank you once again to Chris Hardwick. Thank you so much for joining me this week. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another fun-filled edition of Talk is Jericho. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, my thoughts about it. And actually, it's very apropos because I'll have a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame live in the studio with me. From Run DMC, I got DMC Daryl McDaniel. If you like hip-hop, if you like New York, if you like the 80s, if you like great conversations, you're going to want to check out the one and only, the original DMC. I'm so excited to talk to him next week on Talk is Jericho. So we'll see you here, same time, same place, same yeah boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast podcastone.com. <laughs>